Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... All of the things that we just thought, man, we just ruined this, or that person ruined that, or all the things that the woulda, shoulda, couldas, all of that stuff. He says, I'll give that back to you. And when we grab that by faith, the grace of God will strengthen us and enable us to endure until the end. That term, the God of all grace, is meant to remind us that the power of God is sufficient for every situation in which we find ourselves in. When we encounter difficulty in this life, where can we turn? We can ask for help from things around us, but they won't have the lasting effect that the Lord promises us. Pastor Jim today encourages us to look to God in those moments of trouble. In every situation, God is there to comfort us and give us strength. While God is powerful enough to change the outcome, He might just want to change our hearts. We should ask for His help and trust that He will work everything out for our good and His glory. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 with part two of his message entitled, Final Words from a Spiritual Father. So what do we do to avoid being devoured? Look at the first half of verse 9. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Let's just stop right there. There's a lot of stuff here in those few words. Resist him. I don't think Peter thinks he's like, you know, the dark side of the force. No, Peter's like, it's a him, it's a guy, it's an angel, he's real. And notice it says, resist him. Very interesting to me because most of the time in the Bible when there's sin around, we're told to what? Flee, flee. But with him, in the battle in our mind, we're not told to flee, we're told to resist him steadfast, some versions say firm, in the faith. Very interesting. Peter says, don't fear him, fight him. Don't fear him, fight him. And how do you fight him? With faith. I don't know about you, but that fills me with such hope that we can fight him off. We can actually resist him. This is actually a battle we can win. That all of those crazy thoughts that come across our mind can actually like, do you ever think of something like, all of a sudden you're like, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? And he says, resist him. When the lies and the fears come, resist and fight. Stand in the faith. Stand in confident, determined opposition. Now, how do you do that? This is really where the rubber meets the road. This is really where you know, practical Christianity comes in. Last week, we talked about casting our cares upon him. Taking our cares and just throwing them back to God. And then when they come back, we're throwing them back to him again. We've said many times before to start preaching to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves. Do you ever have an idea pop in your head and then you start to listen to yourself and then before you know it, you're 20 miles down the road? And next thing you know, you're on the interstate and you're running out of highway because you're in California? (laughs) Your mind just takes you in all these kinds of things instead of stopping and preaching to ourselves the truth what we know about God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, the apostle Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. 
Use the word of God and prayer and the praise of God and the fellowship to fight the, of God's people to fight the battle. But be careful in our fellowship that we're not helping, we're not enjoining people in their crazy thinking. We have to be helping them to fight this battle. James said this, James 4, 7, therefore submit to God. That's why all this submission talk that Peter's had, he's teaching us how to submit to God, just like James would say. James goes on, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't it interesting? Everybody's saying that we can resist him. Everybody's saying that he will flee. We don't have to flee. Now look at the second half of verse 9. It says this, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Knowing that the same things that are going on in your mind are going on in the mind, of the varying degrees, of course, but are going on in the minds of the people that are sitting right next to you. You're like, they think like I think? Right? If you knew what went on in my mind, you'd never come here and listen to me. And if I knew what was going on in your mind, I'd probably never, I'd say, what's the point of doing a sermon? <laughs> and so... And so it's very interesting that he's saying that the same sufferings are experienced by, your, by other believers in the world. See, one of the big tactics that the enemy uses to devour you is to corner you and to convince you that you're alone. That you are so much different than everybody else. That your problems are way more different than everybody else's problems. That you are the exception that nobody understands you, that even God himself doesn't understand you. So why does he want to do that? So we isolate. We stop hanging out with our Christian friends. We don't answer the calls and text messages, and then we get out of it by saying, oh, nobody ever called me and texted me. Or maybe we even come, but we withdraw our heart. We're in it, but we're not in it to win it. We're withdrawing because we're isolated, because we feel like we're alone. At that point, but you have to picture what we are. We're walking down the road, but we're a sitting duck for the devil. We're a sitting duck. He's in the woods. He's waiting for that right moment to pounce. And he pounces. And what do we do? Aflac, aflac. I mean, that's how I feel like. <laughs> You know, dopey friends over here, major medical, major medical. I mean, that's what I feel like. I feel like, man, I set myself up for this. So Peter tells the spiritual children, we are all going to suffer. We are all going to be marginalized in some way by our culture. We're all going to be persecuted by people. We're all going to be made fun of. We're all going to be tempted to feel entitled to sin because of how difficult life is. And what does he tell us? Don't be naive about it. Expect it. Expect it. Instead, Peter tells us we draw strength from what we know to be true, that all followers of Jesus are the powerful God's beloved children. We stand on the promises and the truths of the word of God. 
of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross in our place for our sins, not for us to be devoured by wickedness, not for us to be devoured by the devil, but to give us life. And as Jesus said, to give you life more abundantly. Over time, we learn. It takes time, guys. We learn that although it's hard to resist sin and temptation at first, although it's hard to resist the crazy lies that pop into our minds, the longer we do resist in the power of the Holy Spirit, the easier it will become. And you know, I made a joke last week about smoking pot and because Calvary Chapel is just, we're a convert ministry. That's just who we are. So many people come to here because they just, they once were not Christians. They lived a very different life. And you guys that are on the other side of recovery, you know that it's not easy, but you know the stronger you walk in your faith, it does get easier. It's not as hard as it used to be. And what do you do when you fail? You give up? No. You cast. You cast. You throw out your cares and your failures. You pick yourself up. You dust yourself off. And you get on the horse again. How many of you ever rode a horse? Do you know that 1986... The United States won the World Cup in Berlin. The kid I grew up across the street from was on the team. I've met polo players in southern Florida, and I told them who my neighbor was, and like, you're kidding me. You know how many times that kid fell off the horse? I remember his father telling me, I rode with them, and I fell a couple times, and he says, the best horse riders are those who have fallen the most. It's going to happen. Isaiah 50, verse 7, he writes, For the Lord will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. What's a flint? A hard stone. They used to make fires. He's saying, I won't yield, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Now you can read that and say, well, boy, that sounds like Jesus, and it certainly does, written hundreds of years before Jesus lived. But what about for us? Do we know that the Lord will be our help? Do we know that if he's our help, that we won't be disgraced? Do we know that if we set our face on him, that we will not be ashamed? Some of us here in this church are carrying a lot of shame. And we need to cast it. Because if you don't cast it, you'll be what? Devoured. He'll come hunting. Well, you're still not convinced, maybe even a little afraid, right? Look at number two. Let the Lord strengthen you. Let the Lord strengthen you. I'm going to read this two times because I want to interrupt this verse so many different times. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's look at verse 10. But may the God of all grace. You see, grace doesn't only save us, but grace sustains us. And God's grace is all that we need. The God of all grace who called us. Do you know if you're a Christian, it's because you've been called. If you're not a Christian, it's God is calling you now. 
the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Incredible statement, his eternal glory. After you have suffered a while, what is Peter saying? It's inevitable. Suffering is inevitable in a sin-infested world, but it's not forever. After you've suffered a while, it says he will perfect. I love another version. It says he will personally restore, establish. I think rather than looking at each word individually, I like to think of sort of the theme of it. I think he's saying here that the Lord will replace what you think suffering took from you. The Lord will replace what you think all that shame and sin took from you. It says he will strengthen and settle you. And I think the idea there is that our inadequacies and our weaknesses will diminish over time. And certainly once we go to heaven, they will totally diminish. We'll come back to verse 11 in a second. These verses here, you might want to, if you have your Bible, you might want to just bracket 10 and 11 and just write the meat of the message. The meat of 1 Peter. This is the meat of the message that God's strength is given to God's people and that's how we will get God's eternal rewards. You say, how do we know we can trust him? Well, he tells us right here. The God of all grace called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. It's so important for us to remember that the only reason we go to heaven is because Jesus died for us and we responded in faith And if you will, that we are going because we are bound by an agreement between the Father and the Son. And so our journey to eternity is tied into the work of Jesus Christ and his life, death, resurrection, ascension. He says here that we're called to his eternal glory. What an incredible statement and promise. Because if you read the Bible, usually when people see the glory of God, they're what? They're terrified. Absolutely terrified. God says to Moses, you can't handle it, bro. But for the believer, it's sheer joy. It's a cause to rejoice. The call of the God of all grace is the call to joy of eternal life in heaven. And friend, let me be honest with you. Have you heard that call? And how have you answered it? Have you said, I'm going to trust in you, Jesus, or I'm going to still do my own thing? In essence, the Lord says that someday I will give you, as the Bible says, I will give you back the days the locusts have eaten. Peter says God's promised to give us back all that seemed lost, all of our heartache, all of the things that we just thought, man, we just ruined this or that person ruined that or all the things that the woulda, shoulda, couldas, all of that stuff. He says, I'll give that back to you. And when we grab that by faith, the grace of God will strengthen us and enable us to endure until the end. That term, the God of all grace, is meant to remind us that the power of God is sufficient for every situation in which we find ourselves in. Now, the Apostle Paul is a guy who knew a lot about suffering. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. On the outside we're dying. On the inside we're growing. We're becoming more alive, if you will. For our light affliction, now this is really amazing. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he goes out, 
you know, he preaches the gospel. He gets beat up. He gets arrested. They think he's dead. He goes, plants churches. And then he finds out that the people in the church are talking bad about him. They don't love him. They don't care about him. He has to write, the more I love people, the less I'm loved. Nobody, oh, he didn't speak so well. He's kind of ugly, you know, he's whatever. All this stuff about him. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's why Peter sings out the praise of verse 11, where he says, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what I love about that word dominion? We win. We win. Peter's saying, I know it's true. I know the Lord is powerful. I know he will triumph over all evil. And this is an important thing for us to see because God in the Bible gives us certain promises. And why does he give us promises in the word of God? Well, I can tell, let's take two reasons he doesn't. Number one, he does not give us promises to make us feel guilty. Right? He does not give us promises to make us feel guilty. He might confront us on whether we're believing him or not, but he doesn't give us promises to feel guilty. Also, he doesn't give us promises so we believe stuff that will never happen. I was watching this young woman being interviewed. She was a Bernie Sanders supporter. And so they were asking her why, and, and very intelligent young woman, really grounded her reasons. And so the interviewer said, um, do you really think that all the stuff that Mr. Sanders has promised you're actually going to get? And she says, oh, no, no, it's just nice to talk about that stuff. <laughs> right? So a lot of times we're going around believing a bunch of stuff that we think is never going to happen anyway. That's not why God gives us his promises. Not at all. God gives us promises which are gospel truth to strengthen us and to provoke us to faithfulness. And the real question is, will we let him do that? Will we hear the promise of eternal glory and say, you know what, Lord, I'm on my way to eternal glory because of Jesus, right? Oh, man, I'm going to let that strengthen me this week. I'm going to let that strengthen me, provoke me to faithfulness. Will we suffer in our journey? Yes. Will we be marginalized? Yes. Will people think we're crazy because of what we believe? Yes. But in light of eternity, he's telling us it's a very, very short time. Friends, the Lord's call to follow Jesus is not to some unknown place. It's a call to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And Peter says, let that strengthen you. Number three, stand in the grace given to you. Stand in the grace given to you. This is such a unique concept that a lot of times as Christians, we think of grace that has been given to us. And we also think about the grace that will be given to us. But we forget in the moment, we're already standing in the grace that was future grace a couple days ago. Because <laughs> we're always in that grace at that right moment. Verse 12, again, I want to read this one twice. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. By Silvanus, most Bible scholars think that that's another name for Silas, traveling companion of the apostle Paul, and he says, our faithful brother as I consider him. Dude, I, I will take that. 
I will take that punched on my ticket when I walk into heaven as a faithful brother. I will take that in a heartbeat. Faithful. Not perfect. Too late for that for all of us, right? But faithful. Faithful brother, a faithful sister. You know, this, this church wouldn't run without faithful brothers and faithful sisters in so many different realms. He says, this faithful brothers, I consider, I have written to you briefly. Now, uh, if you li- those of you who like to get into this stuff, there's some debate. Does that mean that Silas helped him write it? Or does that mean he dictated it to him? That's called an amanuensis. That sounds a lot better, right? Like you ever go into your boss, take a letter back in the old days, take a letter. Now that it would sound better to go, I'd like you to be my amanuensis. <laughs> or probably just means he was the messenger. He brought the letter and he was faithful probably when the people read it and go, is he serious about this stuff? Not to backpedal. Not to backpedal, not to make it seem different than it actually was. He says, exhorting and testifying that this is, what is this, everything he's written, is the true grace of God in which you stand, in how we can stand firm in the faith. Verse 13 says, she who is in Babylon, Babylon is basically in ruins at this point in time. So he's probably talking in code here. So who's she? His wife. Some people think it's his wife. I don't think it's Peter's wife, although the Bible does say he's traveling around with her. Paul said he's allowed to do that. But she is often referred to as the church. And so she who is in Babylon, Babylon symbolic of the world system opposed to God. So basically she in Babylon is the church in Rome. Elect, those are the people who are chosen by God. Again, let me ask you the question. Do you know that you've been chosen by God? You say, how do you know? You choose him. (laughs) And then you know you've been chosen. How does that work? I don't know, but I'm sure glad it happened to me. (laughs) Elect, together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. Remember we said when we did the Gospel of Mark that he really was probably writing what Peter told him happened in the life of Jesus. Remember we said that Mark, interesting pair of these two, Peter denies Jesus. He's always telling Jesus what to do. Like, oh God, just let me tell you how, let me fix this for you, right? And then he denies Jesus, and then Jesus restores him. And then Mark goes out on the mission field with the Apostle Paul, gets fired. (laughs) And then comes and, and he's with Peter. And then eventually the Apostle Paul will send for him because he's useful in the ministry. And he says, Mark, my son, what, he was a son in the faith. He was a son in the faith. And, and what a privilege to have sons in the faith or to have fathers in the faith. Verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Hmm. The greeters are like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> the parking lot guys are like, no way, <laughs> no way. So don't kiss me after the service. It's just a greeting of love in our culture, probably more so a handshake or a smile. When you know somebody a little bit better and you have a certain level of friendship, a hug. Don't be like, I'm going to go hug and kiss everybody. Just back off a little there, right? What's the point of what he's saying? Is he saying to the church, be a loving family. The obligation of love that we have as God's children. And you know, sometimes you hear, and I hear from 
Christians and churches and stuff like that, that I can't love that guy. I can't love her because of what he and she did. And I'm like, did you ever talk to them? And they say no. It's really important to understand at that point, the sin is on you, if that's what you're thinking. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.